Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Day-to-day life as believers, as members of a church, you know, there's a handful of people who are going through a really, who, going through a real trial right now. You know, Matt and Ashley are still, are still walking through Ashley's complete healing, which we're believing for. Amen. And, uh, you know, the reports there are getting better. And, and, you know, we want it to be right now. I preached a message last night at the men's meeting. I had one request, one only, to preach it tonight. You need to share that with the congregation. And I told them, I said, you know what? If one other person tells me to, I will, but nobody else did. Now Roger's get seconding it, so maybe we'll, we'll do that. There's a third right there. Okay, Matt, see, where were you guys last night? Four. All right, next week you will hear the message from the men's meeting. And don't just say that to stroke me or anything, you guys. That's, that's, that's uh, uh, if it's something, uh, I, I mean, it was, uh, I was moved. I don't, I don't share anything that doesn't move me, frankly. So uh, we're going to do something else tonight. But uh, I'm, I'm always willing to be interrupted. You know, sometimes it's, uh, and sometimes it's, hey, woohoo, Pastor Mike took over and I've got a message for next week now. Uh, <laughs> But no, really, I'm always just glad when God has, has a different plan. But I'm going to preach a message tonight, and that doesn't make our prayers any less effective. Well, if you don't, des- you know, if you don't just uh, drop everything and pray all night, then nothing matters. No, you know what? If we pray for one minute, our prayers matter. God hears them. If they're, if they're offered in faith, we're just going to continue to speak God's word over all these things, right? Right? All right. Hey, listen. There is a children's workers meeting on Sunday. I don't know how many of you have signed up. If you are a teacher, we would, if, if, if at all possible, we would make this mandatory. We know life intervenes and we can't force you to come. But if you're involved already in any facet of children, if you're a teacher, if you're a helper uh, or anything, we really need you there. But also, we desperately want you there. If you are a parent, if you've ever even remotely thought about children's ministry, if you just kind of wonder about our philosophy of children's ministry, please come to this meeting on Sunday. We will feed you lunch. And it won't keep you all day, but please be there. I think you'll be blessed. I think you'll be enlightened to hear a little bit more about the vision of Living Words Children's Ministry. But we just need to know you're coming because we're feeding you. We have to order food or make food or something. So let us know you're coming. You can sign up tonight in the lobby. You can email us. You can text us, whatever. Just let us know you're coming by tomorrow, okay? Armand Morales was a bass singer. Uh, he was the original imperial. I mean, he was the center of that group. He was the manager of that group. Even if he wasn't the lead singer, he was, he was the guy. He was the center of that group for their decades-long career. And he was here a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, they, I don't know, even know how they ended up reaching out to me. But when I saw that original email, I was like, well, we've got to have this guy in. And, and at the time, it was a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe a, ego thing or just an opportunity. I was like, no, this has been one of my, the, the Imperials were my group when I was a kid, you know, when I, when I was in high school. I mean, just adored them for five, six, seven years. That's, that's what I mostly listened to. Yeah. And uh, so Armand came in with his wife and just blew us away. I mean, they, they came and they spoke that morning, they spoke and sang. And then that night, it was the most it was one of the most powerful prayer meetings we'd ever had. They prayed for the sick, and the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was just powerful. 
And uh, they, I got an email from uh, one of his, uh, I can't remember, it wasn't from Armand and it wasn't from Bonnie, but it was from, I think, Bonnie's uh, brother or sister, letting us know that Armand is suffering from some, uh, over the last year and a half, he has really suffered physically as a result of the radiation and surgery that he had, that he testified about. And they've burned through their savings, they've, 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 they're really hurting in a lot of ways. And this is something, when I think about I'm not. we're not taking up an offering for Armand right now. I'm just saying, this is somebody that we as a church can reach out to. We have a missions fund that is, uh, that is there for when we want to reach out to a ministry that has blessed us. We are able to do that and many other things because of your obedience to the gospel, your obedience to the word of God, to tithe, and to give offerings. We have a mission offering every Sunday that goes into the mission fund. But out of the general offering, a certain percentage of that goes into the mission fund so that that is always well stocked. So when we have a speaker come in, when somebody blesses us, when we have an opportunity, if we say somebody comes in to speak to us and there's not a huge crowd, we can supplement that from the mission fund because that's what it's there for. And so when I get a letter, I'm not saying necessarily, hey, hey, we're going to give Armin Morales $10,000, nothing like that. I'm just saying when I get a letter like that from somebody who blesses us, it's like, you know, thanks to you guys, we are in a position to be a blessing when God leads. But that has to continue. And it continues, I know it does, not because of anything, not because of, hey, don't you feel sorry for Armin, but because you have a respect for the word of God. And the word of God clearly tells us, give as you are able to give, give as, God, as you purpose in your heart, and going back to the Old Testament, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, and test me now in this, that I see if I won't open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing there's not room enough to contain. Has God been good to you? Has he been faithful to his word? Let's be faithful to his commandment, and let's give. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence in this place tonight. Thank you for every way you have provided abundantly for us and make and continue to make Living Word Family Church a blessing to those ministries we support, to those in need, and to this church itself. Thank you, Lord, now for the opportunity to give into the work of your kingdom. We believe that every penny is blessed, and it's blessed toward the ministries we give, that you'll multiply it and cause uh, a great harvest to be brought in, lives to be saved, lives to be changed, bodies to be healed. And we believe, Lord, it'll be multiplied back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, Father, so that we can give again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. And if you want to open your Bibles tonight to the book of Jonah. I love the book of Jonah. And I uh, preached it a while back when we were going through the Old Testament. Old Testament, that's where it is. Daniel, Joel, Amos. Come on, it's back here, Jonah, my name, right? Yeah, all right. Jonah. It begins simply. I'm going to read the first couple verses, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, 
go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, like I said, I've spoken about Jonah and Nineveh before. I love this book because it's short, it's concise, it's a beautiful story, and it's a true story. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was one of the great enemies of God's people in Israel and Judah, but particularly the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is unique because most of the prophets that we read, almost all of them, were assigned to speak to the people of Israel and Judah. In this case, God assigns Jonah to speak to a Gentile city, a city-state, a great city, Nineveh. I've also talked about the distance. You know, it says uh, he went down uh, the next thing. Well, let's just read verse 3 here. It says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, where he was going to Tarshish was 2,500 miles away, southern tip of Spain. Nineveh was uh, about 500, 550 miles away from Joppa. And... In the beginning of this story, we are told nothing about Jonah's motives. We are only told that he disobeyed God and fled to Tarshish. He's a prophet. And you know, it's, it, you know, we know in the New Testament about the spirit dwelling in us and the ability to hear from God. In the Old Testament, it's a little less clear. These prophets, you know, this is... Uh, prophets of Israel, prophets of Judah, they obviously could hear from God. There was something about Jonah that he was singled out and God spoke to him, you go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against them. And yet Jonah, who apparently knew enough about God to hear from God, thought he could escape the call of God by getting on a ship and sailing somewhere. Like, like geography was the key to escaping the call. And I do not know, I cannot say for certain what knowledge Jonah had about God. We read the Psalms of David, written before this, where David had a pretty clear concept of the omnipresence of God. I can't flee from your presence. Doesn't matter where I go. I can descend into hell and you are there. Jonah apparently didn't have this knowledge, or at least not this conviction thought, well, if I get on this ship, head west, God can't do anything about it. And most of you know what happened. There was a storm, a terrible storm, a supernaturally terrible storm that threatened the ship, that threatened the lives of everyone on the ship. And uh, everybody on the ship was praying, except... For the one guy who knew the one God who had brought the storm up. They were all praying to their own gods. And when the captain of the ship discovered Jonah sleeping while they were all praying to their gods because they feared for their lives, he commanded him, you, get up, wake up, pray to your God 
Maybe he's the one who'll save us. And when Jonah was awake, everybody was awake, and then they cast lots. Things were getting desperate. This was like rolling the dice. Let's just see. Let's, let's pull the cards out and see whose fault this is. And this is a mysterious process. The lot fell to Jonah. This is God using secular means to reveal himself. So for whatever reason, the lot fell to Jonah. I believe I, clear for whatever reason, God directed it. All of a sudden, these pagans on this ship realize that it's Jonah's fault. They're in the straits they're in. And they say, what is going on? What must we do to save the ship? And he said, well, really, what, if you want to save the ship, throw me overboard. Because this is my fault. God told me to do something. I didn't do it. He's chasing me. There, there are two things I really admire about, about this passage. And one is Jonah himself, that. It's like he didn't try to dodge it. I don't know what's going on. I'm as scared as you guys are. Like, nah, you know what? That's my fault. The second thing I admire, if you read this, is the, the crew's response. They didn't just kill him. They didn't curse him. Uh, they had already thrown all the cargo overboard. They had no, cho- they, they had no hope of profit from this voyage, but they still, even after Jonah confessed, they still endeavored to row back to shore. They tried to save the ship. They tried to do everything they could without drowning the man who had already confessed he was responsible for this disaster. And if you'll read in chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, it says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And if, you, if you've got a Bible like mine, that word Lord is in all caps. That means they offered a sacrifice to Jehovah. Not their God. They offered a sacrifice to Jonah's God and took vows. So I would say that those crewmen were the first fruits of Jonah's ministry. Then, maybe the most famous thing, the one thing, the thing that most people, even unbelievers, know about Jonah is he was swallowed by a great fish or a whale. The book of Jonah says a great fish. Jesus says a whale. Do you know what that means to me? It means whales are fish. No matter what biology tells us. They live in the water. It looks like a fish, swims like a fish. It's a fish. All right? So this fish swallows him. After he, he you know, he's, you know, God's going to kill me. These people throw him overboard. The fish swallows him. And then in the belly of the fish, we have all of chapter 2 where Jonah prays. He repents. He lives. For three days. And then the fish vomits him up on the shore. And then in chapter 3. Beginning in verse uh, 1. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. (laughs) Saying arise. Go to Nineveh. That great city. And preach to it the message that I tell you. I don't know why I get such a kick out of that. But it's like. God didn't say, hey, you want to get swallowed by a fish again? Do you know what I'm going to do you next time? It's like, 
He tells him what to do. Tells him what to do, and Jonah doesn't do it. He goes through all of this hell. The storm, the lots, the people throwing him overboard, and then swallowed by a fish, and then living in the fish for these days, vomited up, and then he's there. <gasps> and then God says, okay, let me tell you again. I want you to go to Nineveh. Okay! You know, there's, there's no argument, there's nothing. You know, it's like, now, what's going to happen next? He just tells him. So, verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. <laughs> Better by God believe he went to Nineveh. <laughs> According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. A three-day journey in extent. I want you to remember this. Back in verse 1 of chapter 1, go to Nineveh, that great city. In chapter 3, verse 1, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And verse 3, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Now that word, three-day journey, we, we don't know exactly what to make of that. Did it really take three days to walk across it? That would be 60 miles. That would be huge by today's standards. Would it mean 60 miles around? Uh, some people say three days meant it, meant it took one day for in-processing. You had to process your passport and your, 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 your legal papers, and then one day to conduct your business and one day to exit. It doesn't matter. It was a big city. And then in uh, chapter 4, and Jonah began to enter the city. On the first day's walk, then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, there's a real uh, seeker-sensitive message, right? I'm not saying that's all he said. It's all the Bible records. And verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Amazingly, whether or not this is all Jonah said, I don't know and I don't care. They heard his message. They believed his message. They repent. And they're spared. Now, skip ahead to uh, verse 10. God saw their works, and then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now, chapter 4 comes, and this is all about Jonah's pouting. This is what's interesting. And this is my favorite, really my favorite part to preach about Jonah, because it's so funny in retrospect. It's almost like Jonah thought God didn't think Nineveh would repent. It's like, you're sending me to Nineveh to preach, but you don't know what a good preacher I am. If I preach, they'll repent. And neither one of us wants that, right, God? They're, they're my enemies. I know they're your enemies. What you want is, is, is to kill them. What I want is for them to die. So why do we mess with this? But God shows them how serious he is with the fish. Jonah preaches and they repent. And then Jonah has the temerity to sit there and say, See? I told you. How do you feel now, God? You see what they did? They repented. And I knew this would happen. I knew that if I preached, they would repent. And I knew if they repented, you, being the God you are, would show them mercy. And now here we are. And so he sits there on a hill and watches the city to see what's going to happen. Pouting. 
This is a prophet of God. And you know what God did? While Jonah's sitting out there in the heat, he causes a plant to grow up to shade him. I want to read this verse to you. This passage in verse 9. Uh, no, back up. Uh, it says in verse 6, the Lord God, it's this chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Let me back up here for a second. Actually, let me skip ahead. Let me come back to the plant. When God said, go to this great city, and then he said again, go to this great city. And then it talked about how Jonah went into that great city. Isn't it interesting that God didn't say, go into that wretched city. Go into that sinful city. Go into that doomed city. Go into that great city. What was great about it? These were God's enemies. They were the enemies of the people of God. This was the same people that not too many years hence, would carry the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. Ten of the twelve tribes of Judah would fall to this great city. What was great about it? It was great because it was full of people. It was a populous city. It was a city full of people who were made in the image of God. They're bad guys, but God loves them. God sends Jonah into the city of the enemy of his peoples because it's a great city, because it's full of people who God wants to save. And Jonah preaches, and they repent, and Jonah pouts, and this plant grows up. And then we see this. It says in the New King James Version, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, I preached a whole sermon on the word grateful last uh, November at the Church of Christ for the community service. By the way, we've got a community service coming up again in November held at the Methodist Church, and you know who the speaker is? It's me again! Because, <laughs> because the Church of Christ is... Uh, uh, they're without a pastor right now, and the Lutherans, I think, who are supposed to preach... Uh, the Lutheran pastor is supposed to preach. He's on vacation. So Pastor Gene Turner of the Methodist Church asked if I would bring it. So two years in a row, baby. Anyway, last year I preached, I preached a, a message on what it means to be grateful. And there's something wrapped up in that word. If you're grateful, you're grateful to somebody. Gratitude has to have an object. And so when we, when we read Jonah was grateful for the plant. Well, Jonah, he's been pouting, but at least he's thankful to God. That's not what that verse is really saying. If you read a literal translation like, the, like Young's or the New American Standard, it just says he was exceedingly happy about the plant. That plant popped up and he was glad the plant was there. But then what happened? The plant died. Because God appointed a worm to chew the root up. And the plant died. And then Jonah was wroth. Now... So when the plant died, here's what's important. 
because he wasn't, and I believe this, the, the scripture bears this out, he wasn't thinking, oh, thank you, God, for this beautiful plant. He was like, this is a good plant. This is what plants are supposed to do. Shade me. He wasn't thanking God. He was just glad. So when the plant died, he wasn't mad at God. You know what he was mad at? The plant. You failed me. He was mad. Stupid plant. Can't even do what a plant's supposed to do. And God takes him to task. He says, you're mad at the plant for springing up and dying in this weather? The whole reason Jonah was glad for the plant is because it was hot. It was dusty. It was dry. It was amazing that the plant was there in the first place. And then the plant does what any plant would do in that weather and dies, especially with the worm. And Jonah gets mad. Now we see through scripture the hand of God in this. But none of us, we might be upset You know, we had a dry summer. Man, my garden this year. And I love gardening. Got into composting a few years ago. And man, I'm proud of how tall my plants get. I let them go this year. And and, and so it's at least 50% my fault. I I just was busy and I didn't tend to it. But man, the weeds got out of hand and the bugs. And the And it was dry. And I wasn't into watering. For everything else I do for the garden, we hardly had any rain. It was a bad year. These things just happen, right? This is what nature does. If you don't get rain, your plants don't do well. All right? We ate some squash. We ate some tomatoes. Picked some peppers. But nothing like in years past. And here's this plant that springs up. Jonah should have been just amazed. And maybe he was. When it says he was extremely, he, he rejoiced greatly. He rejoiced exceedingly. Wasn't necessarily thankful. But he rejoiced exceedingly about the plant. Exceedingly, why? Wow, who would have believed a plant like this would spring up in a desert like this, in this dry weather? And then the plant dies, and he's wroth. He's mad. And God basically says, why are you mad at this plant for doing what any plant would do in this weather? And the people of Nineveh have exactly as much guidance as this plant has because they don't have me. Unlike the plant, they are made in my image. How can you be mad at this plant for springing up and dying and not be concerned about 120,000 people made in my image who have no knowledge of me? Plus animals. And this was one of the things that made him great. It wasn't just that there were 120,000 people united together in a city. They'd accumulated great livestock. They've done great without me. And they're going to perish without me just because their greatness has come about practically randomly, just like this plant. We don't know, and this makes me sad when I read it, we have no idea what great plans God had for Nineveh. Who knows? Not them. We know that. Because they returned to their wicked ways. And their ultimate doom was foretold by the prophet Nahum. We've got two books in the Bible dedicated to the Assyrians. One is Jonah and one is Nahum. But God was pointing out that just going along with the natural course of things, sin and all, Nineveh was worth saving. 
I bring this up because I do not like, man, this is, I hope I don't start to sound like a broken record, and I don't want to start talking about this all the time. But I do not like the direction America is going, and it's going faster and faster and faster because we are caving in on some important principles. But do you know what? America is a great country, like Nineveh was a great city. And like Nineveh, America needs Jonah's. Let me be more specific. Americans need Jonah's. We need to change our thinking at least, about at least two things. One is this, that America gets a pass on ungodliness because America sends all the missionaries into the world. I preach that. I mean, I'm not, not that particular message, but I, I, believe, I do believe that God continues to bless us even as America falls away because in addition to everything that bad America is doing, America is still far and away the greatest supporter of the gospel in the world. And God will bless us for that. But we don't get a pass on everything else. Here's the other thing we need to get over. That God is mad at America and determined to destroy her. And the only thing that will save her is prayer for mercy from believers. What God is doing is looking at America and saying, Who will say to this great country? Turn from your wicked, selfish ways and acknowledge me. And we think, well, who's going to be, who's going to have a platform like that? You do. It's called the Great Commission. I had coffee today, did I tell you this? With the pastor of the Methodist Church. This is a guy I've met a couple years ago when he came. He's, he's relatively new. I remember the first time I heard him speak was here at the community Thanksgiving service, and I was impressed. Because you know what he talked about? The Holy Spirit. This is a Methodist guy talking about the Holy Ghost. The guy's pretty fired up. I like him. So we were talking about the, the Great Commission. And he's passionate about this stuff. We had, a, we, we had a two and a half hour conversation this morning. And at one time I told him, at one point I told him a story that I've told you before. And this was about uh, my first mission trip. I think it was my first mission trip. I took three trips with YWAM into Mexico. And I'm 99% sure this conversation was on the first trip. YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And uh, we would go out, and there were different teams. It was, you know, a busload. There were between 40 and 50 of us that went on this trip. And we didn't do everything together. So during the day, some people would go into the city, and, and they would hand out... Uh, little invitations to come to a puppet show or whatever we were doing that night. And sometimes we went and did other things. Uh, uh, Bill Burtness and I and a couple other guys went on to a college campus and did some things. But whatever we did during the day, at night we would come together and have kind of an after-action review. What happened today? What did God show you today? What did you experience today? And I remember uh, one lady was sharing, what I really began to, to really experience today was a love for the people. And this is, and this is something we all did at some point. It, I think every single one of us, we had, a, we had a, a, a sheet of Spanish phrases that we could learn and practice and memorize on the way down there. And I had been, I had had a Spanish class, so I considered myself conversant in the Spanish lingua. Uh, lengua. Cierra la boca, yo no tengo tiempo para ti. 
Anybody know what I just said? I said, shut your mouth. I don't have time for you. Uh, anyway, we, this, this, uh, this woman said, I, just, I find myself in these conversations. I'm trying to share these phrases. And what wells up in me is a love for these people. And I want to share more. And I know this is God. And it's frustrating because of the language barrier. And we get over like, yeah, amen. And now Bill, Bill Burtness, our leader, said, man, that's a, that's a blessing. I think everybody that comes on these trips should experience that. But do you know what's good news? Do you know where that language barrier doesn't exist? Back home. And here we are expressing this, I just want to share more of Jesus, and I can't because I don't speak the language. And then we come back here, and we're like, (whistles) what keeps us from doing that? What made it so easy then? I'll tell you what made it so easy. We're only going to be there a week, and then we go back home. We're not risking a relationship. We're not risking a, a, a reputation. We're not risking a long-term commitment. But the Great Commission is still there. It is great. We need to honor those missionaries who go overseas and start works and stay there and do it and take it to the world. But Jesus said, go into all the world. He didn't say, just go overseas. If you're not going overseas, you better be going into this part of your world. In this great city. So here's, here's my question. How important to you is your own personal Nineveh? Are you going to run from the call of God? You look at the people around you, and man, it makes me mad when I hear politicians, when I hear other people, when I hear some church leaders, for that matter, start talking about things that I think, no, 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 if people believe that, it is going to ruin our country, it's going to ruin the church, this is bad. But do I love them? And more, really, more to the point, do I love the people that they are speaking to? And do I love them enough to speak up? And let me say this. I'll close with this, even though this wasn't part of my message. And praise and worship team, whoever's in here, you can come on up here. There are so many things that I become aware of because I see something on Facebook. I've told you before, I don't do Instagram. Facebook's about the only social media I do. Uh, but I find Facebook important, and I find it valuable because it gives me a, an idea of what's, all right, this is what the pulse is. This is what people are talking about. You know, I, I could talk, I could give a whole talk tonight about the whole deal with John MacArthur and Beth Moore. Anybody see that besides me? Yeah. Go home. Look it up if you haven't heard it. And then see how many things pop up can't be dictated to like that. And you think, well, social media is therefore it's very, it's very effective. Well, it's effective in terms of letting you know what people are thinking. I would caution you. I would never want to turn anybody off. I don't want to say, hey, don't be bold. But I would caution you that Facebook is not the way, not the most effective way to get the gospel message out. You can only read so much in terms of people's tone, in terms of people's feelings. And you could write the most passionate, loving thing in the world. But because they can't see you and because they can't hear you, they will read it the wrong way. Where does the Great Commission start? It starts with people you know. 
I was telling Gene, the, the Methodist pastor this morning, we were just kind of sharing testimonies. And I said, you know, I could, I, I, we, we could, you know, and we're going to meet again and again, I know. We just really made a connection finally. Uh, I said, man, there's, there's a, boy, I could tell you, I could bore you with a hundred stories of things I did wrong. But I'll tell you this. I was raised in a home where my mom told us the Bible stories. I was raised in a home where we went to church every Sunday, even if it was just by rote. So whether my parents were passionate about it or not, and the time they weren't, I'm talking about when I was little, they were faithful. And so even though we weren't a Christian, born-again, on-fire household, we were a household that I was raised in where I knew, I just knew, there was a God, there was a devil, there was a heaven, there was a hell. And man, when, it, when the light finally went on, and finally it was my mom that made that light come on, that, oh wow, I can go to bed tonight knowing that I don't have to worry about whether it's heaven or hell. That was the moment that I committed my life to Christ. Now it was years before I became an avid Bible reader, before I became an able defender of the faith, but it was hours between the moment I committed my life to Christ and the moment I desired to see other people saved. Even though I couldn't explain the Bible, I also could not stand the thought of my friends going to hell. And overnight, I was willing to risk friendships to share the gospel. What little bit of it I knew. That's what, and and everybody in here, (laughs) I promise you, everybody in here knows more of the Bible than I knew at that point knows more of the gospel that I knew at that point. You cannot be afraid. We can talk. It's getting late. It's eight after eight, and I need to shut this down. We can talk about techniques. You know, we can go back to what Greta shared with uh, uh, Share the Gospel Without Fear, right? Is that what it's called? The, 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 uh, yeah, the techniques. But let's first start with the whole thing. Do I really want to share the gospel? We can't jam it down people's throats. We can't go, well, I'm just going to tell you you're going to hell no matter what. Then my job's done. My, <laughs> no, my job is to do what I can to present it in such a way to bring you with me. Nineveh was the enemy. And God said, go to that great city and give them the word that I give you. You think about how God loved Nineveh and know that God loves everybody. Nineveh at that time represented the enemies of God. But when you get right down to it, according to James, we were all living in a state of enmity with God. What have we done about that? There's only one thing to do about that, is recognize that Jesus came to reconcile us to God, eliminate that state of enmity, and put us in a state of what? Peace. Peace with God. An end to that warfare, an end to that uh, an antagonistic relationship that some of us didn't even realize we were in. So I took all that, all that stuff that made us enemies, I put on Jesus. And Jesus was executed for it. That's what the cross was about. When he rose from the dead, I look at you and say, do you want that eternal life? Do you want that eternal life? Have you made that decision? I think most of you have. If you haven't, when we start singing, come up here. Everybody else? Man, can we recommit?
can we recognize how serious this moment is in our culture and in our life? We are in the midst of that great city. We are the great city. I can relate. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm a patriot. And I'm, not, and I'm not ashamed of that. But at the same time, I'm not a blind patriot. America has made some mistakes. America continues to make mistakes. But right now, America is the great city. Even looking at it from a, a completely secular viewpoint. At this moment in time, we are the sole superpower on the earth for everything that's wrong with us this is the one place that people still want to come to for whatever reason we still have our moment in time America can still influence the world and you and I can still influence America let's stop worrying about where things are going to be five years ten years from now we'll talk about it let's just don't worry about it we can see the writing on the wall. I can, and I think it lines up with Scripture. Let's just don't fear. Let's just don't waste the time. Are our freedoms dissipating? I think they are. Do I think they're going to continue to dissipate? Do I think we're going to come to a point in the next, in our life, in my lifetime for sure, where we're going to be branded as something uh, illegitimate? I, I heard today, well-known ministry has been officially branded a hate group just because it refuses to embrace gay marriage. How far, how far away is that for us? Oh, no. Is that day coming? It probably is. And the, I, I, I want to speak faith, you understand? I just kind of see it. You, you got to take what Scripture says. The darkness, the man of sin. Meanwhile... What, 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 we got one more year of freedom to speak the word openly. We can say whatever we want to say. What are we going to say? Jesus is Lord. God loves you. Whatever your problem is, God still loves you. Whatever your sin is, God loves you. I was a sinner too. Let me tell you what God pulled me out of. Let's be bold. Let's be Jonas. Okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, Lord, we read these words and it's so... Sometimes it's fun to say, oh, that Jonah, he was so silly, trying to run from you. Because we know so much about your omniscience and your, your omnipresence and your omnipotence. Lord, help us turn the spotlight on ourselves and see how many times we have turned away from you, hidden from you, without really hiding from you. Pretending you don't see what we do, what we think, what we say, what we want turn the spotlight in our lives and show us just how little attention we've paid to the Great Commission in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our towns, in this great city. God, I thank you that this is a church that supports the gospel around the world. And I know you bless us for that. But Lord, let us not be blind to the world around us. Let us not be blind to this great city. Embolden us, strengthen us, and give us clear opportunities to speak boldly for the cause of Christ. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in here tonight who does not know you, who has not yet committed themselves to that cause, that they would do it tonight, that you would reveal yourself to them as the only way, as the ultimate truth. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you as you come. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.